Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. We can argue endlessly about who was the greatest Starfleet captain of all time and why it's Benjamin Sisko, but it's far more fun to just appreciate them for all their various levels of brilliance. In fact, pretty much all the greatest moments in Star Trek history have been derived from the occupant of the captain's chair reaching deep into the darkness of mild peril and bursting out a shock piece of ingenuity to save the day. But in the annals, double N of the law, what ranks as the best decisions? What moments of astonishing bravery and leadership would some sort of Federation museum recreate in great holographic? graphic detail for both your education and your entertainment. Well, I've not got anything else to do for the next 12 minutes, so let's find out. My name is Adam Cleary, and these are 10 genius decisions by Star Trek captains. Number 10, John Harriman just lets Kirk do his job for him. Now, you might not remember the name of John Harriman, and, well, fair enough, because he only shows up for a few minutes in Star Trek Generations. You uh, you remember him, though. He was the commander of the Enterprise B, whose entire personality and ability to command a ship apparently wasn't getting installed until Tuesday. When the Enterprise, his Enterprise rather, receives a distress call from an El Orion refugee ship that is caught in some sort of energy ribbon, he springs into action with all the speed and urgency of a hungover stew getting up to put the kettle on. While all of his plans to save the ships are very sciencey, none of them are actually any good. Lucky for him, he has a secret weapon sitting right on his bridge in the satisfyingly round shape of James T. Kirk. On board as a spectator for the ship's maiden voyage, yes, but also probably the greatest Starfleet commander of his time, Harriman presses Kirk into service, putting away his pride, and allows the more experienced head to save the day for everyone. Well, everyone except for all the people on that first ship and the 103 people who didn't get off the second and Kirk himself. Still no smart move. Number 9. Pike decides to share his academy transcript. Ah yes, Captain Christopher Pike found himself with a difficult task when he took command of the USS Discovery. The ship's previous captain, Gabriel Lorca, turned out to be a Mirror Universe imposter who dragged the crew into his dark realm and forced them to take part in his devious plan to overthrow the Terran Empress. This naturally created some trust issues. With Starfleet ordering the ship on a mission of immediate importance, Pike needed to gain their respect quickly. So in a spur-of-the-moment bit of brilliance, he elected to leave his entire Starfleet service record on the main viewer for display, warts and all. It highlighted his commendations and what a swell guy he was, yes, but also his glaring failures at Starfleet Academy and even his childhood asthma. This amazing display of humility immediately ingratiated him to his new crew, and in the process allowed them to get to work rather quickly. What a guy. 
Number 8, Cisco punches Q. You remember Q, right? He's the immortal, omnipotent, omnipresent little trickster of the universe who plagued both Captains Picard and Janeway. Sure, Starfleet is all about discovering new life forms, but Q is probably better described as a dick. Benjamin Sisko, though, who we've already established as Star Trek's best captain, no arts please, found the best way to deal with him. He punched him, like, just right in the face, with his big, manly fist. It was brilliant. Oh, you want some backstory, do you? Very well. Your Majesty Q showed up on DS9 in pursuit of a woman, and when Sisko discovered him, he demanded that he leave. In a very Q move, the alien transformed Quark's bar into a boxing ring and challenged Sisko to a fight. Rather than just saying, enough, Q, like Picard would, Benjamin here just decided to slog him right in the jaw, and lo and behold, he never bothered him or the station ever again. Number 7, Picard decides to destroy the Enterprise. Yeah, we've all had a day like this. The Enterprise crew finds themselves trapped in a strange black void of space. Romulan warbirds appear out of nowhere and are destroyed, and then their sister ship, the Yamamoto, appears from thin air, or space or something, and disappears. Eventually, Picard and crew discover they've become playthings of an alien entity that has power over time and space. He can keep the Enterprise trapped in his void indefinitely and seems to be very interested in the concept of death. He tells Picard that he'd like to run some experiments and will only take a little over half the crew. Picard, not satisfied to play Labrat, decides to set the auto-destruct sequence rather than submit to it. Realising that the Enterprise would be no use to him if everyone on it was dead, the creature rolls his eyes, relents, and lets the ship go. With that single decision, Picard outmaneuvers an omnipotent alien without even having to punch it in the face. Number 6, Sisko decides to poison a planet. Before the start of the Dominion War, Starfleet's biggest concern was probably the Marquis. One of their most effective lieutenants was a former Starfleet officer named Michael Eddington, who, having turned his back on the show's principal cast, Sisko was ordered to capture. Complicating matters, though, he was formerly Sisko's security chief on board Deep Space Nine, making this incredibly personal. Basically, as a freewheeling outlaw of the Marquis, Eddington isn't having to worry about doing the right thing while he's trying to win a political war. Thus, he just goes around attacking hacking whoever he wants, quoting loads of stage shows, and eventually poisoning the atmospheres of several Cardassian worlds. Sisko, realising that Eddington will permanently have the upper hand if he has to abide by Starfleet regulations, does the last thing he'd expect. He disregards them and fights fire with fire by poisoning the atmospheres of several prominent marquee bases. With all of his options removed, Eddington is forced to hand himself in. Number 5, Picard decides to antagonize his torturers. Ah uh, yeah, speaking of the Kardashians, along the border with the Federation exists the planet of Seltris III. Late in the 2360s, Starfleet suspected the Kardashians of developing illegal weapons on this planet and sent Picard on a covert mission to investigate. As it turns out, though, the Kardashians had set a trap designed to capture Picard so they could extract information about Federation plans and defenses. What follows is a battle of will between Picard and his Kardashian torturer, Gul Madred. In a momentary lapse of judgement though, Madred shares too much with Picard and relays a story of his childhood, when he was beaten up by a group of older boys. Now yes, they stole his food, but he brags that they had to break his arm to do it. His story is meant to prove his resolve to Picard, but in an act of pure brilliance, he uses the information against his torturer. He tells him that no matter how much pain he inflicts, Picard will only view him as a sad, scared little boy and completely flips the power dynamic in the process. Number 4, Kirk decides to cheat on a test. 
The Kobayashi Maru is an infamous psychological exercise inflicted on Starfleet cadets. It presents would-be command officers with an unbeatable simulation to teach them to accept no-win scenarios. Here's how it goes. The cadet is placed in command of a starship where the crew receives a distress call from a civilian vessel, the Kobayashi Maru. The ship is stranded in the neutral zone and under attack from the Klingons. The cadet can either enter the neutral zone, violating a treaty with the Klingons and potentially sparking a war, or they can leave the civilian ship to be destroyed by its attackers. It's entirely lose-lose, so how did Kirk win? Well, it's very simple, he just cheated the test. Kirk reprogrammed the simulation so that it was possible to save the civilians with no negative consequences. Starfleet gave Kirk a commendation for creative thinking, and he came out of the academy with a reputation for success in the face of impossible odds. Number three, Janeway decides to trust a crew of terrorists. Before being flung into the Delta Quadrant by the caretaker, lol, we've all been there, the USS Voyager's mission was to capture a marquee vessel. However, with both ships being stranded on the other side of the galaxy and a serious shortfall in her own crew owing to them being dead, she decides to recruit them. At this point, Janeway had a choice to make. Since the Marquis were considered terrorists by the Federation, she probably should have thrown the lot of them in the brig for 75 years and struggled on with what she's got until they got home. Instead, and when you'd say this out loud, it does sound deranged, she completely integrates them into her own crew, including handing them the roles of both First Officer and Chief Engineer. Quite how the fifth episode of this show wasn't just Janeway and Tuvok sat in the brig having lost the ship to a mutiny and saying, well, 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 if it isn't the inevitable consequences of our own actions, is beyond me. Number two, Archer decides to throw the Vulcans under the bus. I always felt sorry for the Enterprise crew. Given the first proper long-range exploration vessel in Starfleet short history and with an entire galaxy to go poking around in, they're then just handed a load of Vulcan star charts and told to go where plenty of tedious nerds have gone before. One exciting mission sees them travel to a Vulcan monastery, which is definitely probably the Las Vegas of space, I'm sure. Mercifully though, something's actually happened here as the evil Andorians are messing with the place and leaving all the doors open to let a draft in. The Vulcans are naturally all like, oh, yeah, these guys are dicks, just being mean for no reason, you definitely don't want to believe anything they say about us. Archer, though, does a bit of digging, discovers the Vulcans are actually spying on them and straight up grasses them to their blue adversaries. The Vulcans hit the roof as much as Vulcans can, but in years to come, the Andorians remember Archer being a top lad and help form the Federation itself. Number one, Rachel Garrett decides to die defending Klingons. Captain Rachel Garrett might be the most influential captain to ever take command of a ship named Enterprise. Yes, I know what I said. With one decision, she simultaneously ushered in an era of unprecedented peace between the Federation and its greatest adversary and spared humanity from a war it could never have won. All it cost her was her own life and those of her crew. Responding to a distress call from Neandra 3, she found the Romulans attacking a defenseless Klingon civilian outpost. Not being on friendly terms with either side, lesser captains would have just quietly slipped out and let them get on with it. Garrett, though, in a moment that defined Federation history for decades, rushed into a clearly hopeless situation to at least try and defend the Klingons from being slaughtered. She failed, of course, and actually slipped forward in time for a brief moment, but the glorious death she earned her crew humbled the High Council into decades of peace. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com slash covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. warbyparker.com slash covered.